Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome, everyone, to the 50th episode of the Take the Points podcast. I'm your host today, Tate Seth, and I'm going to be joined by two really fun, really special guests today, one on the Chiefs side, one on the Eagles side as we get closer to Super Bowl Sunday. So last week, Arjun and I didn't do a Friday show because we were competing in the Tulane Pro Football Contract Negotiation Competition in New Orleans. So Arjun is still recovering from from the competition he you know he has he has a couple exams this week that he had to attend to so not able to join me here but again like i said i i have some really good guests so you know for this episode we're going to be looking at kind of the rosters that are playing in the super bowl as a whole how they've been built up how they've gotten to this spot and we're going to start with the chiefs side here so i'm here with my good friend matt ungashek from the chiefs side and he follows the chiefs really closely and, you know, Matt, just how are you doing today? You know, Tej, I'm doing great. And I definitely, you know, want to take a second and uh, commend you and Arjun for the the contract competition. Uh, from my understanding, you guys are the first and only all undergrad team to compete, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're the only undergrad team. Yeah, that absolutely rules and should not be understated. So <laughs> uh, that's super cool. I'm actually great. I've been so plugged into like senior bowl stuff and pre-draft process that doing this actually got me back into, you know, the days leading up to the Super Bowl here, that and, you know, media night last night hitting off. And I was like, okay, I can get back into the Super Bowl here. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure if you have a team playing in the Super Bowl, that's something I, I've never experienced, but like these two weeks must feel like the longest two weeks of your life, right? The last two days, I sent a message to my brother this morning. It was like, these have been the last, like longest last two days I've had in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. But, you know, you start to wonder like, holy crap, is this what Patriots fans felt like? Mm-hmm. Am I taking a third Super Bowl in four years for granted? You know, yeah. like, I hope I'm not, you know. I know. Yeah, that's that's like the thing I think Chiefs fans have done a good job of like as of right now is kind of just like really being excited about all the success that they've had and not like getting spoiled, at least at least the ones I know. But what I want to hear from you before we jump into kind of like the Chiefs roster and all yeah. that stuff is how did you become a Chiefs fan originally? Yeah, so, you know, born and raised in Kansas City, um, my dad and a couple of my uncles took over our grandfather's like local family business and they had Chiefs tickets like season tickets ever since I can remember. Um, so this is a nice tie into some of the, what we were talking about of the appreciation of the winning now, because I'll tell you the chiefs were creating a myriad of ways to lose in the playoffs. You know, my, my first playoff game I ever went to, and you know, I was super young. I don't really remember this, but I was there was the Lynn Elliott, you know, missing three field goals that were all under 45 yards against the Colts in 95. Um, and they end up losing by three in that game. I think they lose 10, seven in that game. Uh, then you go down to 2003, um, against the Colts, the famous no punt game, the chiefs and the Colts both didn't punt in that game and we lose. Uh, 2013 blew a 38 to 10 lead. Uh, I remember I was driving down to Florida and listening to that game on the radio. It was Andrew Luck took the Colts mm-hmm. back. Absolutely miserable. Um, 2016, you know, don't give up a touchdown to Pittsburgh and lose. 2017, it's our last, uh, we like to call the PM era, the pre Mahomes era. Um, the, the Marcus Mariota passed to himself for a touchdown. I mean, just you can't, 
we we took our lumps, you know, over the years uh, with with the Chiefs creative playoff losses and then the Royals as well. So um, and then Kansas City as a sports town in general is actually pretty similar to Philly, um, in my opinion, when you think about like the truly like passionate and not just passionate, but knowledgeable sports fans. Um, so I, I think they're pretty similar in that in that regard. I feel like people would probably be more welcomed in Kansas City than Philly as an outsider, but you know, mm-hmm. that's just me. That's that's what I keep coming back to with the Chiefs is they used to have a playoff curse. You have the play where it gets fumbled at the goal line. Andrew Luck picks it up and runs in for the touchdown in the playoffs to to kind of leave burned in my memory. Yeah, (laughs) you have, you know, the Marcus Mariota catching his own pass and running it in for a touchdown as well. But then Mahomes kind of comes in and fixes all of this and takes the Chiefs to the AFC Championship in his first year. And it it doesn't go their way in, in overtime. But after that, we see a, a Super Bowl. You can Bowl. say a D Ford. You can yeah, say a D Ford. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I didn't know if that name was going to uh, kind of like trigger anything for you there. But, you know, I, I think we've got enough therapy over the last four years to kind of like get over some of that. Yeah. yeah. So like with like Mahomes and, and kind of this change, like what do you think the Chiefs saw from Mahomes when he was coming out of college to trade up from where they were in the draft and trade a future first round pick as well as a third round pick in that draft to go up and and get him to to make them their 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 uh quarterback for at least the next couple of years? Yeah, so you know, every everybody knows and, and it's the funny thing, you know, now that Sean Payton was on Fox this year, he's very vocal about like, well, we were going to take Mahomes, you know had the chiefs not traded up in front of us. And, and I'll just say right off the bat, it now given everything with the last year, especially, and even the last two years about the debates between Josh and Pat about like, who's better. And the bills kind of being their rival. It does make it a little bit sweeter. Just knowing that the bills were the ones that traded the chiefs, that pick mm-hmm. that took Mahomes. you know? Um, but yeah, man, you go back and you listen to some of the interviews and that people have done and talking to Veach and other people that were in the building at the time. And, um, you know, Veach was a what assistant director of player personnel, I think, at the time. And uh he was just pestering Andy Reid all the time, apparently in the front office, like as early as Mahomes freshman year at mm-hmm. Texas Tech. Um, Andy would stop and say stuff, you know, like, yeah, this guy's good, but you know, he's years away from anybody drafting him, let alone us. You know, um I've got stuff in here like these quotes like Veach was texting highlights of Mahomes to Reed's phone in the fall. And at one point in December, he was just like, I remember coach calling me to the office and showing me a Kuiper McShay mock first round. And he said, Your guy's not even in the first round. You know, he's just like, Don't don't worry. That's that's good for us. You know, that's what we want. Um, I've always been the type of like looking at quarterbacks, like be wary of the guys that come from the power schools, right? That have always had been surrounded by talent, you know. Mahomes, I looked this up. The only meaningful, like NFL talent skill guys that he played with when he was at Texas Tech, this it's not an inspiring list. So Kiki Kuti, you know, uh, who I think is on the Colts practice squad this last year. Um, DeAndre Washington, just journeyman running back, and then Jakeem Grant, return specialist. Those are the most meaningful guys, right? Um, so you start to like look at some of that stuff and. Veach talks about the stuff that happened in between the plays that you would see on film, the comp, like the competitiveness, um, him learning from mistakes, like within the same game or like within the same season, that type of stuff. Um, those are the types of things that really started to really solidify and crystallize. That was going to be the sure thing. Like they could absolutely be confident in trading up to do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, that's really good insight on him from like a data perspective. I think it's a lot easier to look back in hindsight to kind of see like what was going to translate for Mahomes, but having a really low pressure to sack ratio in college and knowing how much quarterbacks control the pressure to sack ratio, because it stems from their time to throw and the time to throw is something that's basically a hundred percent in a quarterback's control if they want it mm-hmm. to be. And yep. Mahomes is able to to keep his time to throw stable from college to NFL, like every other quarterback we usually see. And that's why his pressure to sack ratio has been so low. And especially this year, like that's one this of the year, It's just, I mean, he's just, you're not getting him on the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, that's like the, I think like the big change in his game, like if we were to go back to that Buccaneers Super Bowl two years yep. ago, where there was the offensive lines 
worst performance of, of his career, but he also took three starters out. Yeah. Yeah. Three starters out, but he has become better at avoiding those types of things now. And I think the chiefs have become better at kind of fixing their offensive line as well. So it's the combination of that really, really good interior offensive line that the chiefs have right now. And, and the tackles are being able to hold up there as well, as well as Mahomes just keeping his pressure to sack ratio really low. Yeah, just being uh, a magician. Yeah. yeah. So that's allowing them to keep like kind of these, these sustainable drives going Then They're avoiding negative plays more often than almost anyone. Yeah. I mean, nobody, you know, everybody kind of thought that, you know, the loss of Tyreek, like they would have sort of the, they would lose the explosives. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the efficiency with the way they move the ball. I love, I love the way you were talking about though, about learning about Patrick too, and the way to build the offensive line. Um, because you would always think like we want strong tackles, right? Guys to protect from the bending around the edge. Right. Well, Pat's escaping through the B gap a lot to create plays. So, you know, when, when they've got Orlando Brown there, and you know you're worried about a guy rushing around the edge. They don't worry about that as much. They kind of invite that even a little bit because that's going to, you know, it's going to encourage a lot of that creation that ends up creating a lot of those explosives when they're using a lot of quick game and RPO stuff to help be more efficient and methodical too. Yeah. So sure. so being able to design your tackle or structure your offensive line around the way that your quarterback scrambles or navigates the pocket is super important too. Yeah, that's a really good point. And yeah, that is something to, that the Chiefs have done. And you have to give Veach credit for kind of understanding that as well as you touched on the Tyree kill trade. And that's like another one of these roster moves mm-hmm. that have gotten the Chiefs to this spot. Like I think basically, and I, you know, I was told by by some Chiefs fans on Twitter that it's I shouldn't be making it this simple. But like, again, like kind of recapping this, the Chiefs traded a first round, second round, two fourths and uh, six to to trade Tyreek Hill. The Dolphins traded that to them. Tyreek Hill mm-hmm. got basically 83 million over the next three years on top yep. of that. And the Chiefs were able to replace kind of that with with extra money, extra draft picks through Juju Smith Schuster, uh Marcus Valdez Scantley, Justin Watson, all signed through free agency, Sky Moore drafted in the third round, Darius mm-hmm. Tony, they traded for. So they they what I think they did right was they didn't just go out and try to find a Tyreek Hill replacement. You're not going to be able to do that. He's one of one. But what they did do is they tried to replace it in the aggregate by getting receivers that could do a part of what Tyreek Hill do. MVS can kind of loosen up the defense by running uh, very quickly and on go routes. And Juju Smith-Schuster can do some of the underneath stuff. And Kadarius Toney can do the yards after the catch stuff. And they kind of just tried to replace parts of Tyreek Hill with this ensemble of receivers. Yeah, it's the money ball approach, right? Um, and, you know, something that I'm kind of surprised that nobody's really talked a lot about is they got a little bit of a test case scenario for this, right? When they weren't sure what what led them to draft McCole Hartman, right? When they weren't sure if they were going to have Tyreek, you know, all this stuff was coming out um, uh, about a resurfacing from the situation from him when he was in college, you know, and a lot of the stuff with his family and off-field stuff. And... They weren't sure if they were going to have Tyreek that next year. So they draft McCole Hardman as their sort of Tyreek light guy, right? Um, trying to find somebody who's like Tyreek Hill. And the problem is nobody's like Tyreek Hill, right? So they did that a few years ago. And, and you know, McCole Hardman is a nice player for them. And it's his absence, you know, for their red zone offense uh, has definitely been felt, like, felt in the middle of the season for sure. Um, but, you know, he's not a... He's not a guy that they're like itching to commit to long term. You know what I mean? So they learn from that. And and there are going to be some people earlier in this year um in in Chiefs Kingdom that were kind of like, well, did did Veach really money ball into this? Like he wanted to trip, like he was going to throw money at Orlando Brown. He was going to throw money at Tyree Kill. And I kind of push back up against that and say, like, you know, he was offering them large deals for sure. They weren't market setting contracts and they weren't top of the market deals. You know what I mean? Um, they were in line with their production in the market. Orlando Brown, you could make the argument that his production may, may not have been there for the market, but um, in doing that, you know, they realized like, hey, here's our firm number. 
and then being able to move off of that afterward, right? Instead of just being beholden to players that had already been there, which was kind of a sore issue for KC fans and the Royals and Chiefs of being way too loyal to players and signing them for contracts on previous production, right? Stuff like that. That's the key thing is not paying players for their past production, but what you believe they're going to do in the future. But I think something that plays a part in this as well is that Travis Kelsey is the best tight end in the league and is basically a high end wide receiver one getting paid tight end. Yes. Tight end. What, he's, what is he making like 16, 16 and a half, something like yeah. that. Yeah. So like, and, and these top wide receivers are getting, you know, like Justin Jefferson will get $30 million this year. So when you have Travis Kelsey and having, no one will blink an eye because he deserves it. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> Kelsey's making Travis half Kelsey of that. Getting about the same yards per route run. Like that's a great value for the chiefs. But I also think like stuff that they've done where they can have Noah Gray or Blake Bell or Jordy Swartzen kind of work in to 12 personnel sets. They use 13 personnel in the red zone. And what I think is unique about their heavy personnel usage is it might be listed as 12 personnel. So the defense might match it. Absolutely. Tyree Kill is really a wide receiver. Sorry, Travis Kelsey is really a wide receiver. So it becomes this 11 personnel look uh, where where you have a linebacker that is is too slow on Travis Kelsey or you have a defensive back that's too small to guard him. And that is also something that gives the Chiefs offense so much success. Absolutely. Yeah. That, you know, at the end of the year last year, they kind of started to lean into some of those 12 and 13 personnel looks for sure. Um, and some of those gap scheme runs, but you know, they didn't have Pacheco for sure to make the run looks really count in those gap scheme plays. Um, and they, and they still had Tyree kill, right? Mm-hmm. So this year, it kind of really forced them to lean into some of those looks that, you know, in the past they were running a ton of 11 personnel shotgun outside zone you know rpo glance bubble you know they were dependent on that a lot of the ways for moving the ball um and things started to get very tight right you could you could feel that last year in some of those games that the the yardages and what they were trying to get it just felt difficult it felt tight Mm -hmm. and getting into the 12 and 13 personnel looks using a lot more heavy play action under center stuff that they hadn't done a ton of um has opened up so much for them um and you know you were talking about kelsey i kind of wanted to dig into some of this because people were talking about you know well mahomes came in and he got to have travis kelsey acting like kelsey was like i mean kelsey was really good then don't get me wrong i wanted to look at the splits on kelsey's career and these are just basic counting stats so obviously i'm like highly against this normally but it it does give you a broad idea of where he's at so kelsey with alex smith he never averaged more than five and a half catches a game, 70 yards a game, or 0.3 touchdowns per game. Never averaged more than that. <laughs> Kelsey's worst averages are for Mahomes, like the, the same as Alex Smith. So never had lower than six catches a game, never had lower than 70 yards a game, and never had lower than 0.31 touchdowns per game. So his best games with Alex Smith are his worst games with Pat Mahomes. <laughs> Gives you an idea of kind of like, you know, what the the difference of who we were looking at here and like and how players do it, the you know, force multiplier and all of that. But also Mahomes ran air raid in college, right? They didn't really I, I don't did they really ever have a tight end when yeah. he was at Texas Tech? I don't think they did. So when he gets there, he's like, I there was a quote about him his first year when he was just a rookie and he was talking about i just didn't know that players could be this big and move like this like why didn't we have this in college you know um and then the mind meld you know at the football like in football specifically um that mind meld when you're talking about those short yardage situations you see those guys when he's working in zones or working off linebackers and the way he reads leverage and mahomes reads them as well when you're playing with the anticipation like you can see it i mean there's not it's so hard to defend. And that's how Kelsey's been so successful is in those little, like small areas of inches with Mahomes and the synergy in the brain. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what it is. I think their chemistry has just gotten better every single year. And that's what led Travis Kelsey to have such a, a great year this year. And yeah. especially like when watching that Jaguars playoff game, kind of the way that they move synchronously right like synchronized swimmers where yeah kind of just move together when Mahomes is rolling to the right Kelsey knows what spot to be in for Mahomes to kind of 
find him. And that's like what makes it really special about Mahomes is you'll often see like my favorite thing is when Mahomes is rolling to his right and Kelsey will settle like in the middle of the field and kind of like an open area because he knows only Mahomes can make that throw really. Absolutely. And, and Mahomes will do it and the defense just isn't trained to like expect that to happen. And all of a sudden you have a 20 yard completion. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, and I did tweet this out like probably, I don't know, a month ago that I think Jarek McKinnon now, like just specifically on that little two yard push pass, like near the goal line with Mahomes, mm-hmm. I, I think McKinnon has the same level of mind meld now with Mahomes that Kelsey does, but just on that specific play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel that. Um, but yeah, like all the things that we talked about has led the Chiefs to have this like really prolific, prolific offense. What I do want to touch on, uh, and especially with someone like you who ca- covers the draft so closely, when the Chiefs kind of approached this season with how many young pieces and rookies they had on defense, what were kind of some of your expectations for where the defense would rank, how they would perform, and how the season would kind of play out for them on that end? Yeah, so I'm glad we were talking about that. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, so, you know, with the Tyreek Hill trade, we saw, like, I, it's funny. I've got a group text of buddies from like high school that like don't know ball. And then I've got a group text with my brothers and a couple other people who do know ball. So when that it's like always a good barometer of like, what's the smart take here, you know, like, so after the Tyree kill trade, all my high school buddies are up in arms. Like, what are they doing? This is our best player. And all the rest of us are like, no, this is actually really smart. And they're building for the future. Like, you know, so that's kind of how we felt about it. And, you know, I, I was just talking to my brother a couple hours ago and we were talking about how we've never seen a Spags defense in Kansas City really be bad with good players, right? Or solid players. Because like you look at the defense the last couple of years, and especially last year, I mean, you're just giving too many snaps to guys like Dan Sorensen. Uh, God love Tyron Matthew and everything he did for us in the Super Bowl run in 19, but he was not the same player last year as he was in 19. And I think it was pretty clear. Um, Guys like Ben Neiman getting a ton of snaps for the Chiefs. Um, So they made a conscious choice, right, to kind of like go away from all of that stuff. They wanted to elevate. And, you know, you talk about this and obviously in analytics, I've heard Eric Eager talk about this stuff too, of like corner and defense in general being a weak link unit, right? Mm. You are as good as your weak link. So let's elevate those, right? Let's cut Dan Sorensen. Let's cut Tyron Matthew. Let's cut Ben Neiman. Let's cut bait with all these people who are not athletically what we're looking for that are going to give us the sort of broad ability that that Spags wants to play with, right? To be able to kind of play, you know, like the almost like the Shanahan style on defense, right? Just put anybody anywhere, float around, kind of designer plays and that type of stuff, right? But I, I remember specifically a play from last year, the Bengals game during the regular season, um, where man, I, I want to say it was the second quarter, but um Dan Sorensen is rolled up in like a robber look, right? But uh, pre-snap, and he's gonna have deep half responsibility later and this is one of those big jamar chase touchdowns just to let you know in advance um so he's got to go back and cover a whole shot and cover two right well he's not athletic enough to go do that and so he doesn't get over the top of it jamar chase catches it and then actually cuts inside of him because dan Sorensen is over pursuing trying to overcorrect for his lack of athleticism and getting to where he needs to be cuts back touchdown we've all seen the highlight right um they don't have that on this defense this year. That's why I think they're like, I want to say they're either second or third to last in the league in uh, explosives given up, which was not a thing we saw last year. You know, we saw that last year all the time with bad tackling, you know, missed assignments or poor communication, that type of stuff. Um, so you go out and you get a guy like Brian Cook who can really like, not a flashy player, but is going to be smart. You can put him in there. Um and you go get those young corners, they know exactly what they're looking for. They have a history of doing this, you know, of drafting guys later in the draft, like Rashad Fenton. They got to get big snaps out of in their two Super Bowl runs before. Legereus Sneed, obviously one of the better slot corner players in the league. Um, and then, obviously, Traverius Ward, who got his bag in San Francisco. So, you know, those were all like day three picks that the Chiefs made at corner. So they can they can do that and get some value 
um, at those positions and, and elevate and do that. Um, now, Spag still wants to give snaps to guys that you know he's loyal to that do the right thing. And so for whatever reason, Darius Harris seems to get snaps on the field over Willie Gay. It, people in Chiefs Kingdom are just bewildered by this. Like even when Willie Gay is healthy, we don't understand why this is happening. So um, we'll, we'll see what Darius Harris looks like in, in the offseason. But yeah, it was it was a big commitment to getting more athletic, right? Um, sorry, I'm gonna get long winded on this because th- this was a huge a huge thing on defense that Veach did. I don't know if you have any thoughts on any of that first. Well, I mean, all I really had was third youngest defense by snap weighted age this season. A lot of the players you mentioned, big reason why, right? Like you go out, you get Chet mm-hmm. McDuffie, who is like a little bit different than the rest of the corners that the yeah. getting like they they like the longer type corners but mcduffie just moves so well and is more athletic like you mentioned but then you have jalen watson uh getting significant stats joshua williams another rookie getting significant stats brian cook like you also brought up leo chanel at linebacker like there's just so yep. many rookies on this defense and george carloftis mahomes yeah carloftis as edge when you have mahomes getting a 35 million dollar cap hit this year you have chris jones at 29 million, you have to find these small edges there. And, and that's what they've been able to do. Yeah, absolutely. And so like earlier in Mahomes, like phase one, right? You could take chances on Frank Clark. Mm-hmm. You could take chances on Tyron Matthew and they helped and they worked. And even Sammy Watkins, you could throw a bunch of money at that. And when he misses a bunch of games, it doesn't end up burning you a ton in the end. Right. But now you can't have those misses. So um, actually, Albert Breer, I think two days ago, came out with a really good article uh, on Sports Illustrated with an interview on Brett Veach, kind of talking about that philosophy change. Um, And now looking at, they want to be aggressive, but aggressive towards guys that are more high character, guys that are going to be solid players that they know have high floors that they're not going to miss on, right? Because now we can't miss on the young talent. there was a lot of criticism um, on Chiefs Twitter uh, right around the trade deadline, right, for not making an acquisition for an edge player. You know, Brian Burns was dangled out there. Um, not uh, Montez Sweat. Josh Sweat was another one, or Montez Sweat was another one that was thrown out there too um, around the trade deadline. And people were all up in arms that the Chiefs didn't, you know, kind of move heaven and earth to go get Brian Burns. And we were all kind of saying, like, I think their best addition at the trade deadline on the D line is actually just going to be improvement from George Karloftis. Mm-hmm. And you can't, you can't understate the Joe Cullen effect. Uh, the D line coach they hired this year, he's been phenomenal in the league ever since he's been, and he's very highly respected. And, you know, they had a lot of new pieces. Um, Carlos Dunlap, you got Colin Saunders now playing healthy again, um, who wasn't really playing a whole bunch. Um, then you've got Mike Dana playing some more. Karloftis obviously knew. So they run a lot of stunts on that D line. And so early in the season, like it was, it was pretty easy to see why that defense, why people would say that defense would struggle, right? They weren't getting any pressure. Karloftis was getting pressures, but he couldn't convert them to sacks, right? And the Chiefs run a lot of stunts. And when you haven't practiced stunts with your partner, they don't work as well, right? Right. And so just getting those over time, the repeated reps over time, and then all the rookie DBs, letting them take their lumps over time. You know, I, I equate it to like, you know, leaving a lefty in like the eight hole in a in the thirty fifth game of a major league baseball season to face a lefty late in a game because he may have to do that later in the playoffs, right? Mm-hmm. So you go ahead and you let those cor- those young corners or Brian Cook or Karloftis take their lumps, and they've got guys around them that are good pros. You know, Justin Reed has not been in the league super long, but he's a vet and he's a smart guy. Legarius Sneed is a hard worker, so you've got guys in the secondary there. You got great guys on the D line to coach them up too. So it was just a matter of time before that stuff kind of started to take effect, right? And then you start being able to do the stuff with Spags now that you've sprinkled all that in, and you got these young guys, you know, running some pretty awesome disguises pre-snap and getting to better places in the field than guys on the roster last year could, you know. For sure, yeah. I I love how you you broke that down, and hey, yeah. I mean, just talking about the Chiefs roster in general here, like. I think they kind of approached the season where, and like the market thought this too, where they gave them the same win total as the Broncos and the Chargers, and mm-hmm. they weren't as high in Super Bowl odds as we'd expect a Chiefs teams to be. And they kind of felt prepared to kind of really 
scratch and claw their way this year and, you know, try to win 11, 11, 12 games. And it would be a success if you made the AFC championship game. But then once you realized how good this team was, it became like the Super Bowl goal again. And I think that's just a testament to Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Steve Spagnola, all like the, the infrastructure that they've had in place to kind of get this done. And that's, what's been really impressive. And it was kind of cool to, it was really cool to take like a step back here and kind of see how all these pieces have fallen into place for them to get to the Super Bowl. So yeah, Matt, this has been a lot of fun. I'm, I'm really glad we got to have you on again for anyone that's wants to follow Matt on Twitter. It's at M Ungashik. So U N G A S H I C K N F L on Twitter. So be sure to, to check that out, Matt. Is there anything else you want to plug here? No, man, I, I, I just appreciate you having me on and, uh, you know, Chiefs by 50, you know, <laughs> appreciate it. And we hey, will now you. transition to our next guest here. Before history is written, it's played before it's frozen in time. It's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. All right, so we wrapped up kind of looking at the Chiefs roster, how they got here and everything with Matt. And now I have my good friend, Devin Parikh, an Eagles expert on to talk about this whole Eagles roster building, which I'm really excited to talk about as a massive Howie Roseman fan. Devin, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. For sure. Yeah, thanks for coming on. This was something we've wanted to do for a while, especially when it kind of became clear how good this Eagles team was this season. So I'm really glad that you're able to come on and talk ball today. So before we dig into kind of the Eagles roster and their journey to get to this Super Bowl against the Chiefs, I, I want to hear how you became an Eagles fan and some of your earliest experiences as an Eagles fan and, and all that stuff leading up to now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I really just became an Eagles fan because from a young age, I just loved like all kind of sports. When I was young, the Phillies were really good. So I was really into baseball and things. But um, the Philly fans' passion just grabs you when you live in the area. And as someone that grew up in Villanova, which is just right outside of Philadelphia, I like became a four for four Philly sports fan. And eventually football became my favorite sport. So the Eagles uh, became my favorite team that way. Yeah, for sure. And you did get to eventually see your team win their first Super Bowl of, of franchise. A lot of other fans waited a really long time for that. When, what was it like watching your team win a Super Bowl the first time around? Does this time feel the same or does it feel different? Yeah, so... The soup, the 2017 2018 Super Bowl was like crazy for me because I was actually able to go to the game. Um, is really interesting. So, my dad grew up in Boston and he also loves football, so he's a Patriots fan, but I'm an Eagles fan. So, we like when both teams made it that year, we were like, all right, like. The Eagles have never won, and my dad had never been to a Patriots Super Bowl, even though they made it so many times. So he was like, okay, this is the one. So we found tickets, um, and we were able to go. So I was super lucky to be able to see the first Eagles win in person. Um, I think that year I was probably a, a bit more nervous um, because I had never – I'd never – uh, been like an Eagles fan when they made the Super Bowl before but this time I think it just feels a little different because even though it's been five years it hasn't felt like that long but I think my excitement is still the same mm -hmm. yeah I know it's really nice to hear that you were able to watch that Super Bowl in person I'm sure it was an amazing experience and Let's let's dig into the the Chiefs or the Eagles roster here. So we have to start with quarterback, and there's been a lot of talk this week about how the Eagles handled their quarterback situation for the past couple of years. So how I kind of saw the Jalen Hurts draft pick at the time, and I think it even looks better now in hindsight. 
is they were playing out the Monty Hall problem, but with their quarterbacks in real life here, where if you have three doors to choose from with one car and two goats uh, behind the other two doors, and you choose the first time, you have a one-third chance of finding the car. But if they give you the option of switching doors when they remove one of the goats, that's where you have a one-half chance of switching to the the car or staying with your original door, which which has that one-third chance with it. And that's what Howie Roseman did when he made this decision to draft Jalen Hurts in the second round. He was giving himself a better chance at finding value at the quarterback position. And so what I want to hear from you is like, what was your re- initial reaction when the Eagles drafted Jalen Hurts? And then what have you kind of seen from Hurts since being drafted that has kind of told you one way or another if he has a future as the Eagles quarterback? Yeah, so, I mean, I have to say when they first initially drafted him, uh, I didn't really understand the pick. Um, I I was looking at Carson Wentz and – Although, like the last, the couple years after his MVP season and his ACL injury, he wasn't quite as good. His efficiency numbers were still above average. His EPA was still, I think, top 10 in 2019. And so, with a bad receiving core, I didn't really feel at the time that Carson Wentz was like a problem and that the Eagles needed to look for another quarterback. But I think you put it really well in what what you were saying about the three doors. And, I mean, Carson Wentz, obviously, the next year had a really terrible year. And the Jalen Hurts pick ended up working out really well. And so, I mean, now when I look at Hurts, um, thinking about his improvement and what he could be in the league, I mean, he's only 24 years old. This was only his second full year as a starter. And I think a lot of times – we look at quarterback and say, okay, like let's give them like three years to fully see like if they can be that guy. And in year two as a full-time starter, he's proved that with pieces around him and put in the right situation, he can play at a top five level. And so I don't think he'll always have this good of a team around him, but I don't think you can also count that he won't get any better in his future. So I really like what I'm seeing so far, and I have a lot of hope for him going forward as the Eagles QB. I like how you touched on how he kind of keeps getting better, and that's what we've seen from Jalen Hurts his whole career. Going back to when he was a true freshman starting at Alabama, he ranked 41st in QBR amongst all 128 FBS quarterbacks that year, but he kind of went through the process where he started his second year at Alabama, you know, ended up not working out well in the national championship game when Tua replaced him, but he was seventh in QBR that year, sat out a year, and then was fourth in QBR his last season in college. And then each year in the NFL, he's gotten better. Year one, he ranked 20th among quarterbacks. He was top 15 in year two, and then top three in EPA per play this year and was an MVP candidate, much like we saw the last year of his college career where he was a Heisman candidate. And that's what I think is encouraging to you and a lot of other Eagles fans is how much better he just continuously gets. And that's what we saw and heard early from him when he got in the locker room as a rookie, even though he wasn't the starter. Wentz kind of felt threatened by how the team gravitated to him, how the the team liked him so much, his competitiveness. And I think all those things kind of came together for Jalen Hurts to be playing at a high level right now. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, where I know you're an analytics guy, I'm in. I've been researching more about analytics as well. But I don't think you can fully discount the fact that he's been great in the locker room. Um, that people, players, have just gravitated towards him a lot more than they did towards Carson Wentz. And yeah, I think when you have someone with that leadership ability, that um, is still such a young player, I think he has so much room to grow. And I think that even if you pay him and you're not able to have such a good team around him, I don't think you can discount the fact that he can still get better and still probably play at a high level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you touch on the supporting cast. I want to kind of look at that lens. So from, from the receiving room, what have you kind of seen were are some of the ways that they've been able to build up to get these, these pass catchers that have been able to help Jalen Hurts' development so much. 
Yeah, I mean, that was the big problem with the Eagles for a few years there. I mean, they drafted Jalen Rager in the first round. That obviously didn't work out. They drafted J.J. Arcega-Whiteside in the second round the year before. That was a bust as well. And so they just didn't have really any number one or really true number two receivers on their roster. And so I think that was kind of what people were looking at with Wentz and saying, oh, like he doesn't have anyone to throw the ball to. You can't judge him so harshly. Um, And even last year with Hurts, people were kind of giving him the benefit of the doubt. But with drafting Devontae Smith, that's obviously been an incredible pick. And then the A.J. Brown trade as well last year has worked out unbelievably. So I think just those two weapons now are like two receivers that are such a big improvement from what the Eagles had before that, of course, it's going to help the quarterback and it's going to make such a big difference for the offense. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. And it comes back in, and you're an econ major, so you can probably speak to this better than I can, but it was like really the sunk cost fallacy by Harry Roseman in this organization, right? Like Jalen Rieger, you could have tried and talked yourself into uh, kind of going with him for a second year and not drafting a receiver, but the Eagles were sitting at pick number six and uh, the Dolphins wanted to move back up there after the trade with the 49ers. So they traded back to 12, uh, which eventually became the 10th pick. It got, got a little complicated, but they picked up that extra first round pick and Devontae Smith plus an extra first is more valuable than Jalen Waddle. And we've seen that play out here with the Eagles. And on top of that, that extra first that they got ended up turning into getting the rights to sign AJ Brown to an extension, who's been unbelievable for them this year, as you mentioned. And this kind of goes back to the variance of being a general manager in this league is the drafting that you do, you just have less control over the process. And the Eagles process for getting picks and trading back has been really sound. And that's what's really worked out for them as well. And then like when we move over to their offensive line and how well that's been been developed is like Jordan Mailata, their, their left tackle, seventh round pick in 2018 from Australia through the International Player Pathway Program. So he was allowed to stay on the roster without taking up an extra roster spot during his rookie year training camp. And I think you you I want you to touch on this too. Like Jeff Stoutland is probably the best offensive line coach in the league and his ability to develop these guys has really helped that aspect of the Eagles supporting cast as well. Yeah, I mean... I think Eagles fans really take this for granted in the last 10 years because we've always had a good offensive line. So we've never even had to think about what a lot of other teams' biggest weaknesses were, which is like drafting a left tackle and figuring out the offensive line. And I think Jeff Stoutland is obviously a huge part of that and deserves massive credit. The fact that you can take a seventh-round pick who's never played football before and train him into now being a top 10 left tackle in the league is a testament to how good he really is. And really just the consistency of the Eagles offensive line year in and year out, they rarely have any glaring weak spots. And now with Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson, who people are talking about that as two potential future hall of famers, I think it's really just a, a testament to the whole Eagles coaching staff, but especially Jeff Stoutland and the way he's able to design plays in the run game, just develop these guys through training camp and practice over the years. Um, yeah, I, I think Eagles fans, we don't like it's it's hard. It's really easy to not think about the offensive line. It can get lost in like the big plays with the receivers and running backs and things, but that's that's probably the biggest key to the Eagles offense is their stout offensive line. And yeah, I think the Eagles are super lucky to have such a good coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And the players are are really good too. And like another thing I really like the Eagles do that uh, doesn't really relate to this Super Bowl, but it's like for future, like taking Cam Jurgen uh, this, this year. And that was someone that Jason Kelsey kind of wanted as the Kelsey replacement planning for life after Jason Kelsey is like what good organizations do. That's why the Eagles keep having these winning records uh, almost every season, these, these past five years. And it's because they like, they do smart things like this, where, where they're, they're doing different picks where they're planning ahead as well as kind of pushing chips in the middle without going fully all in. And then when we turn to 
the defensive side of the ball, they are just stockpiling just pieces everywhere. Like on their defensive line, you have Josh Sweat, which is a free agent signing from the commanders, Hassan Reddick. You have Brandon Graham, who was a holdover. You trade for Robert Quinn. You sign Linville Joseph midseason. You sign Idamic and Sue midseason. Uh, you draft Jordan, Jordan Davis. Like there's so many paths that the Eagles have gotten defensive linemen on the roster. And basically all of them have been impactful. And I think that's been something that's been super impressive from this Eagles team that's second in pressure rate, first in sack rate among the league. Yeah, I I think like it's kind of a running joke between Eagles fans every year is like when all the mock drafts come out and people are like, oh, I want this receiver or something. Everyone's always like, oh, but you know they're going to draft a defensive lineman. <laughs> they always do that. But I mean, their commitment to drafting linemen on both sides of the ball is really what has gotten them here in the last few years to be such a good team. Like you said, they drafted Cam Jurgens as depth. They even drafted Andre Dillard, who hasn't worked out great, but it's never bad to have a good backup offensive tackle in this league. And then just their commitment on the defensive line too, you're right. Like from Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham a long time ago in the first round, and now they just keep stockpiling great um, defensive linemen through free agency and the draft. I think the fact that they're using so many resources to in the trenches and it's working out for them just proves how like they they know how they want to build their football team and they're building it the right way and when you look at the 2017 year when they won the super bowl they had the best run defense or one of the best run defenses in the league that year this year they might not have the best run defense but they have one of the best pass rushes and i think jonathan gannon deserves a lot of credit for that on the defensive side as well but I mean, the it's it's true. The commitment to spending resources on the D line and the O line, and how they've just been so consistently good the past few years, is what really stands about what really stands out about this football team. Mm-hmm. I love how you put that, and I do want to touch on. So I think like the one position that the Eagles have kind of punted on their roster as linebacker. They threw a ton of resources at their defensive line, like we just talked about. They've thrown a ton of resources through trades and free agency in their secondary, signing James Bradbury, trading for CJ Garner-Johnson, trading for Darius Slay a couple years ago. I, I still miss him. But why do you think that they kind of approach their defense uh, from a perspective where they don't want to put as many high-end draft picks or um or money at the linebacker position is that a Gannon thing is that a Howie Roseman thing or is that just kind of how the chips have fallen for them um I really think it's a Howie Roseman thing I think for a long time when when I didn't know as much about NFL defenses and just like uh how they're designed and what defensive coordinators really valued my friends and I would talk about like man, like, why do we never draft good linebackers? Like, we never have a Fred Warner or a Luke Keekley. Like, the Eagles have, haven't have had that for a long time. But I think Howie Roseman has really looked at it as in a pass-heavy in a pass heavy league now, you want to be able to rush the passer and you want to be able to defend the pass. And so you're going to spend more in your secondary and your defensive line, and you're going to have less resources to spend on linebackers. And so... Through that thought process, it makes sense as to why they haven't spent high draft picks and such on linebackers. But at the same time, I think you have to give him credit for that. And even when you look at the way that TJ Edwards and Kaiser White have played this year, they're they're not top five linebackers in the league or anything like that, like the Eagles have at other positions, but they've been solid enough and TJ Edwards was undrafted. Kaiser White's on a one-year, uh, not very expensive contract. So I think if you can get value at the linebacker position like that, where you can get solid players, even if they're not all-stars or great for cheaper resources, it's a good strategy to use. Mm-hmm. I really like how you explain that. And I think that's something that analytics people have kind of been trying to spell out for last couple of years is kind of where you want to invest your resources and how linebackers obviously still very important. We saw 
with the 49ers, like how important a linebacker core could be to, to your defense, but relative to the other positions, it's a little bit less than that. So yeah, Devin, this is a lot of fun. You know, we saw uh, Eagles Lions together week one, kind of crazy to think looking back at it now that the Eagles are going to the Super Bowl. And like we saw the the team together that that is going to be end up playing in the Super Bowl. And I think we even talked about after the game, like, wow, the Eagles offense is really good. And yeah. I don't know if we necessarily realized how bad the Lions defense was at the time. And I did have low expectations, but like they let up, I think, 48 points. It was it, but like it, it's cool that the, the team that we saw like now four months ago is, is going to be gearing up to play in their second Super Bowl in five years. Yeah, for sure. I think that Eagles Lions game, it it was the it was week one of the season, but it kind of like was a microcosm of the entire season as well because the Eagles were like feeding AJ Brown that game. The offense was going crazy, and the Lions were like right there with them until the end, which was really, I mean, the Lions were kind like they had some tough losses this year, but they really were playing well against the best teams and. So I think it kind of showed like, yeah, the Eagles might have been a class above the Lions this year, um, but the Lions were still a good team and the Eagles just found a way to win that game, which is what they've been doing in games all year. Yes, no, exactly. That's true. Uh, but yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for coming on and talking about the Eagles here. I I think like your insight is is really, really good. And I'm sure you're you're super excited for the Super Bowl and everything. So for everyone listening that wants to check out Devin on Twitter. His his username is at Devin Parikh 126. So go be sure to check that out. When I tweet out the episode link, I'll I'll also at him in the in the episode. Devin, is there anything else you want to uh kind of plug before we head off here? Um not too much. I, I really appreciate you having me on. Um yeah, I'm super excited for the game this Sunday. I I think my I guess I'll just touch on my outlook on the game specifically. Um, I really think it's going to be a, a nail-biter. I think it could go either way. Um, I think the two biggest keys are going to be, one, can the Eagles get after Patrick Mahomes with their fearsome pass rush that they've had all year without blitzing and be able to defend the Chiefs' offense in that way? And then uh, I think you also have to just look at the health of both quarterbacks. Like Both quarterbacks have been dinged up as of late, but we know that they can still play at such a high level. So, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping for the best. Uh, obviously, I'm going to take the Eagles as, for winning this game, but we'll see. I, it should be a great one for anyone watching. Yeah, for sure. And they're very excited about it. Arjun and I will be back on Friday kind of going into the huge preview about it, but we wanted to do like a macro view with, you know, since we had the opportunity for you and Matt to come on here and, and break down the ins and outs of these rosters, which I think have been – uh, really kind of constructed in different ways, but they were both processes that worked out, obviously, as, as these teams are playing in the Super Bowl. So, again, thank you for coming on. We'll have to have both of you guys back on sometime again to kind of wrap up these teams uh, during the offseason here. But really, really appreciate it. Really appreciate everyone for listening. And until next time, I'll take the points.